Welcome to Central Line, Leadership in Healthcare, the show that shares stories, experiences, and advice from notable and innovative leaders in healthcare. Leading in healthcare is incredibly challenging. So if you are looking to learn firsthand from nurses, physicians, administrators, and other healthcare professionals in leadership and management roles, this is the podcast for you. Hosted by Leah Wuchik, leadership development expert, executive coach, healthcare professional, and president and co-founder of Tall Trees Leadership. We talk with today's successful healthcare leaders on how they get to where they are, lessons learned along the way, and what it takes to thrive as a successful leader in healthcare. Let's get started with your host, Leah Wuchik. Laura Janusik is leveraging her past experience, which includes 15 years of HR management in private industry and 20-plus years as a professor and scholar to help individuals and teams better align their communication through the power of listening. Laura is known throughout the world as a leading expert in teaching and training listening. Her PhD in communication and her MBA assist her in using research-based information to help people change their daily communication interactions to develop greater cohesion, increase trust, demonstrate empathy, meet deadlines, and increase productivity, all through the power of listening. Her research and ideas have been published nationally and internationally, including Forbes, Harvard Business Review, The Wall Street Journal, NPR, and U.S. News and World Report. Good morning, Laura. How are you today? I'm doing great, Leah. Thanks for asking. Uh, the sun is almost shining. And, uh, you know, I have another day. And that always makes me grateful. <laughs> I hear that. I'm grateful as well for that. And so I'm really excited to have you today because I know you're so full of knowledge, um, specifically when it comes to listening. And so I'm excited to learn more about that. And I think listening is one of those things where people sometimes think it's intuitive and maybe easy, but we know there's a lot more that goes into it that kind of meets the eye. So before we dive into that, I'm curious, um, what is your your story and how did you get into the world of listening? Uh, Leah, I did not want to become a listening person, but the universe (laughs) had different plans for me. Uh, In a nutshell, I was having my one third life crisis and decided to go to graduate school to get an advanced degree, my master's, so I could teach at the community college level and be on the East Coast so I could teach during the semester and be on the beach in the summer. Nice. And uh, so I applied for school and I got accepted. And my advisor that I was paired with, Dr. Andrew Wolven, is a leading expert in listening. And I told him very early on, I was not going to become a listening person. I did not know what one was, but it didn't sound like anything I would ever want to be. And he was great. He said, Lori, you can do whatever you want to. So as I was approaching my final semester of my master's program, I realized he'd be writing my letters of recommendation. So I should probably show a little bit of interest in his passion. (laughs) 
<laughs> I had um, three extra hours, so I signed up for his listening course. And Leah, within two weeks, it totally changed my life. Wow. We, we learned about the process and the models of listening first. And I remember thinking and shouting to the universe, why don't people understand what listening is? Listening is so important. Like the quality of a relationship is dependent upon the quality of listening. Why don't people know this? And uh, as a as a requirement for that course, I had written a paper and he invited me to submit it for the International Listening Association, which I did. And I went to that conference and realized that there really wasn't enough listening research out there. So I dedicated, <laughs> I ditched the idea about going to the East Coast and being on the beach. And I thought, okay, I'm going to get a PhD and in communication and really focus in listening so I can bring this out to the world. So that's uh, what I've been doing for the last over 20 years. I was a professor at Rockhurst University here in Kansas City, Missouri in the U.S. And then I left that uh, about two years ago so I could bring listening out to the broader public. What about that experience around making that shift to listening and being a listening expert, what about that intrigued you? I think, you know, in retrospect, I was a really awful listener. And if you talk to any of my family members or friends growing up, they would totally concur with that. I was really an awful listener and I didn't understand. I didn't understand how to listen to people. And I think being with Andrew Wolven, he really is a phenomenal listener. And it's probably one of the first times that um, somebody outside of my aunts and my grandmother, who were the most important people in my life, uh, somebody that I didn't know took interest in what I had to say and how I felt about things and how I thought about things. And I really felt heard and understood. Mm. Uh, you know, that idea of being heard and understood is so powerful. And as you know, um, all of our listeners are in healthcare. And so I'm curious, when you think about the idea of being heard and understood, what do you see as the importance for folks who are working in the healthcare space? Wow. Um, healthcare is actually an area that I've done uh, not published research myself, but I've read a lot of the research in healthcare because I've spoken and trained a number of different healthcare groups. And I'm also happy to be affiliated with a woman by the name of Corinne, who is out of the Netherlands, who is, well, she was the first chief listening officer of a hospital. Wow. Um, because her, her story is uh, her husband um, had a lot of complications and ultimately passed. And um, she and they were not treated really well from a communication perspective. And she has the kind of soul and heart that she wanted to make that better and worked with the hospital to, to make that better. And now is working not only around the Netherlands, but really worldwide to help healthcare uh, healthcare workers become better listeners. And, and so I've learned such an incredible amount from her. Um, but in healthcare, 
you know, listening is challenging on so many different perspectives. I think one of the huge challenges is, uh, of course, depending on what country you're in, but time. And I know in the United States, they get such limited time with patients that patients probably can't be heard and understood. So I think that those are definite complications when it comes to healthcare. And I think another complication that comes to healthcare, particularly within the last 20 years, is the model has shifted from the doctor and the healthcare workers being the gods and goddesses, yep. and knowing everything and prescribing what should be done to more of a decision or shared decision making model. However, patients have never been taught how to do that. Um, and there are reasons that patients can't do that initially because we feel before we think. So when we get diagnosed with something, most of us go into our feelings and that shuts down our ability to be rational. So if I go in and you tell me today that I have breast cancer, I've had an aunt who's passed away from breast cancer. I've had many friends pass away from breast cancer. I'm not going to be able to think rationally and talk about what I want my treatment to be in that eight minutes that I have to spend with a physician, right? right? Um, and I think if we don't teach patients how to, how to be shared decision makers in the process, that it just complicates healthcare tremendously. And then the burden of empathy, and I say burden of empathy because I think healthcare workers and teachers and social workers, I think those are the people who, who generally get into those professions because they want to help. And they have high empathy levels and they are hit with things on a regular basis that just sucks the energy out of them, I guess, is, is the only way that I can say that. Mm -hmm. So there are challenges, just lots of challenges. Absolutely. And, and I appreciate you bringing up about that shift to the shared decision-making model and the, the shared care model where patients and family um, do have and should have input into what their, their care plan is going to look like. And as you mentioned, um, the emotions that come with the diagnosis are, are pretty powerful and do kind of interrupt that ability to think and to express what those wishes are. Um, I think the other thing that occurs to me is that, and I'm, I'm, I'm speaking for myself and also for a lot of people that I've spoken with directly, is that we haven't necessarily, we as healthcare professionals haven't necessarily been taught to actually listen and listen well. Um, you know, there's, as you know, a big difference between hearing and listening. So I'm curious from your perspective, like what is actual listening all about? Mm -hmm. um, I think I can, I can say that fairly succinctly. And I, I really appreciate that question because I know that uh, terminology is really important for people who study listening and uh, we, as human beings, make meaning based on the terms that we hear. So for those of us who study listening, 
we distinguish between listening and hearing as hearing being the passive process, which you can't help but do. So for example, I'm seated here in my office, but I might be able to hear somebody walking by outside or a car on the street. And I don't pay attention to that. Um, So with hearing, we generally don't focus or pay attention or really hone in on the sound unless the sound becomes unusual. And then for listening, listening is really about making meaning. So what does that sound mean to us? Whether that sound be a bird chirping or a bunch of words that are coming at me. Uh, What is my personal meaning from those words and the other stimuli that I am taking in? And of course, my personal meaning is going to be different than anybody else's personal meaning. So listening in a nutshell really is about creating personal meaning. So that's really interesting about creating personal meaning. And so what I'm curious about is what are the factors that go into that personal meaning? Uh, There are two really huge factors, you know, beyond the fact or beyond the idea that, you know, do I have the ability to even hear sound? So um, is are all of my mechanics working appropriately? Right. So can I see can sound come into my ear and I can discern it? Um, And then the the other two big, big uh, factors are our long-term memory, because we make meaning in what's called working memory. And working memory um, is a place in our prefrontal cortex that actually pulls meaning out of our long-term memory and connects it with the incoming stimuli that's coming in. So for example, you couldn't understand what I was saying here if you didn't have access to all of these definitions of the words that I'm using. And uh, so we we take that for granted, but all of us have different definitions for different wor- words stored in our long-term memory. Um, so that's one factor. And of course, the more chronologically gifted we become, the more we have in our long-term memory. So the more we get to search and connect things um, from the incoming stimuli. And then the the second huge factor really is the incoming stimuli, because recent research that was published in the International Journal of Listening in March of 2020 um, supported the idea that there are listening habits. So a habit is something that we do unconsciously, and we unconsciously listen to and for different types of information. And there are four habits of information. So if we have, you know, unconsciously trained ourselves to listen for that information, that's what we're going to be listening for. And the rest of that information, we're not even going to take into our working memory, or we're not going to value it. So it, it falls off in the meaning making process. What happens? Well, okay, let me actually back up a step. Um, You mentioned about how we all make meaning in different ways and through our memory and whatnot. What happens when two people are making different meaning of the same thing that's being said? Which happens 
daily and <laughs> probably I would say 99% of the time, right? Yeah. Um, when I uh, when I studied listening, I studied listening within the context of communication. So, um, you know, the way that I view listening is really first and foremost as the cognitive activity, but the cognitive activity in synchronous communication where we're exchanging symbols called language, whether that be nonverbal or verbal with the other person. And because our long-term memories are different and because we tend to focus on different things and allow different things to come into our brains, what happens uh, in a face-to-face situation or a telephone situation or even a, a Zoom situation like this is we oftentimes assume that what's going on in the other's brain is exactly what's going on in our brain, because Mm -hmm. how could it be any different? (laughs) And that's where a lot of misunderstandings take place because that assumption is you have heard and processed and made the same meaning I have because it's so obvious to me. Why wouldn't it be obvious to you? Um, but it really is not an obvious activity. Yeah. And what occurs to me is in the healthcare space in particular, those misunderstandings can have pretty devastating consequences or impact for um, the patient or the client that is being served. Um, You know, a a simple example is medication errors, but much beyond that are other errors that can occur. And as I mentioned, those devastating consequences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Leah. And what's also interesting when you think about listening within healthcare is it's not only the healthcare workers who are doing the listening. Um, As you so aptly pointed out, you know, uh, nurses who are giving medications or physicians who are giving medication, you know, they're when they process information in the healthcare context, because that is their profession, they have been trained to do it. They have a lot of information in their long-term memory. And um, this is what their role is in their profession is to utilize this information that they've learned correctly. Mm-hmm. And so they're processing processing the information from this very learned perspective, whereas the patient in the room who, let's say, is an accountant or who is an opera singer, you know, is is hearing this information like medication and not understanding what a CCU is or CCE or or whatever terminology it is that you're using Mm -hmm. or how much is too much and how much is enough. So if you say, well, give her 2000 units, you know, I have no idea whether 2000 units is way too much or not enough because I've never been trained in anything like that. Whereas a a healthcare worker might go, oh, no, 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 you mean 200, don't you? Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, the the curse of knowledge in assuming that everybody in the room has the same knowledge in healthcare is, is certainly not true. When you share that, what comes up for me is uh, my early days as an acute care nurse and being in rooms with patients and families. And um, 
not only is it such a frightening experience for someone to be in hospital or a clinic or, you know, whatever care setting that happens to be, but the words and the environment are so foreign to them uh, that it just adds to that, that stress level. And I distinctly remember patients and families saying, you know, okay, you gotta, you gotta explain that in a different way for me because it's, it's Greek to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And you bring up a very good point in that for people who are in this space as professionals and have spoken this, I'll call it language for so long, I think it's easy to forget that not everyone understands. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No matter how many TV shows we watch about the (laughs) ER, (laughs) we, we, we still don't understand what all of those things are. Yeah. So I'm curious then as to what your thoughts are on how healthcare professionals can support patients and families to ask for what they need. That's a great question. And I think part of this is understanding that um, there's definitely going to be education that needs to take place. Um, But we're also approaching this from two different perspectives, or I would recommend a healthcare worker approach it from two different perspectives. There's the logical, rational perspective where you could explain to me how how many units I'm supposed to be getting or how many units a typical person gets um, versus an emotional perspective or a feeling Mm -hmm. perspective. And my feelings, I think... I think our feelings as human beings almost always trump our rational thinking. And so approaching first from the emotional perspective and making certain that the patient is as emotionally stable, and and I'm not sure that that's the exact right way to say it, but... um, emotionally stable enough to then process the more logical information. And much of this requires the patient to ask questions, but the patient doesn't even know what questions to ask. Yes. And that's where some of the education I think really needs to come in. And so in, you know, some situations being the healthcare provider that says, okay, there are currently three different medications that are used for this particular disease. And I'm going to explain them to you in a nutshell. And then I want you to ask me questions, you know, or, or the physician would say that. Um, One of the things that they're doing in the Netherlands, which just blows me away, I think it's absolutely brilliant is, you know, they have figured out that they have to train patients to be more educated in the shared decision-making. And so what they've done is they've created a number of different videos um, for the different diseases, which also include, you know, not only the disease, but um, the different options for care with that particular disease. And so when the patient comes in and gets diagnosed, they get told that they're going to be sent these videos and they would like the physician would like the patient to watch the videos and to jot down questions. 
And generally what happens is they will share the videos with their family members and their relatives and their friends Mm -hmm. and more questions will come up, which is terrific because then when the patient comes in to talk about which care plan to select, they have so many more questions to ask and they can be more knowledgeable in that shared decision-making. Mm. That's really interesting. And what I appreciate about that is not only is it providing some education to the patient, but as you said, it then often gets uh, spread to family and friends. And um, as we were alluding to before, you know, when you receive some sort of diagnosis, um, you know, you're in a really vulnerable state and it can be really tough to process all the information that's coming at you. Um, so, you know, the more I think we can involve families and friends and other people, um, the more comprehensive the plan can be and the understanding of that plan. If you were to offer some thoughts for healthcare professionals on how they can up their game when it comes to listening or kind of take it to that next level, what would that be? Yeah, I actually have three real tangible takeaways, I think, or um, ways to demonstrate empathy and understanding to patients because you know, these are the things that we do in language. I can talk about listening and I can talk about listening esoterically, but what I find is that people want to know how to listen, like, tell me what to do, tell me what to say. And so um, the first thing is to, of course, ask questions and not questions of what do you want to do right now when you're, when you, when you don't have the knowledge to be able to determine what you want to do. Um, but questions about how you're feeling. Um, That would be one of the first things to do. How does this make you feel? And then if the person is blank, perhaps offering some different options. I know other people in this position would feel really frightened or, you know, there, there are a number of different feelings and Gottman actually has a feeling wheel. I think it's Gottman who has a feeling wheel out there. And I love that wheel because There are just all of these different emotions that we don't typically think of. Um, And that's another thing that you can do is just hand hand that list of emotions to the person and say, point to the one that you're feeling the most right now. Um, And then reflecting those feelings because sometimes, well, often we don't know what we're feeling and we can't name it because perhaps we've never been in a situation like this before and we we, we, we can't even pull out a word for it, mm-hmm. you know, so helping us pull out the word for it and then having the healthcare worker reflect it. You know, I can tell you're really scared. Yes, I'm really scared. That's exactly what's going on here. Because as soon as somebody confirms me emotionally or confirms another emotionally, that that level of tenseness or stress dissipates a little bit because we do feel heard and understood. So I think reflecting feelings is a really important element. Um, Asking questions goes throughout everything. And sometimes the questions are really, um, you take what I like to call the abstract nouns and ask what that means to the person. 
So you say you want to have a quality of life, a high quality of life. What does quality of life mean for you? Because that could mean so many different things to different people. And so understanding what they mean by quality of life or understanding what they mean by, I want to respect the doctor. Well, what does that mean? What does respect mean in this instance? And sometimes respect means I don't want to question the doctor's authority. I think that that would be really disrespectful. Whereas with shared decision-making, asking questions isn't disrespecting their authority. It's trying to get more information from their perspective, right? So so being able to understand how people use language, particularly in those highly emotional situations, I think is really important. And then, of course, we know the the other element there from a more hmm, uh, rational perspective is the paraphrasing or confirming. And... Um, you know, just paraphrasing what the patient said and double checking to make sure you're right with that, because then the patient does feel more heard and understood. And you can understand a patient, but not be able to deliver what the patient wants to. Um, but just understanding that really goes a long way as well. And then I, I think the last thing is what I would call the power of the pause. Uh, different cultures have different turn-taking behaviors, which is a fancy way of saying, we all know when it's our turn to speak. And the way that we know when it's our turn to speak is because we've learned this in our culture. So in North America, United States and Canada, we generally allow about a half a second after the speaker finishes speaking before we respond. And when healthcare workers, coaches, individuals, actually anyone um, bites their tongue and, and goes past three seconds. And the reason it's three seconds is because research has actually been done to show that the space starts getting really uncomfortable at three seconds of silence because it feels like an eternity to so many people um, that generally somebody will jump in to break the silence not because they really have the right question to ask or the right response to give yet, because people haven't really had that time to think. Um, so learning to bite your tongue and pause for at least three seconds, what oftentimes will happen for healthcare workers is that the patient will then continue talking and the healthcare worker will get more information and of course, as you well know, Leah, the more information you have, the better able you're you're able to treat the patient. Mm -hmm. I can definitely speak to the power of the pause from my personal experience. Obviously, I'm a coach, and that's part of what I do. And I can absolutely relate to that discomfort that um I used to feel in silence and don't anymore with a little bit of practice, but it's amazing what people will do and say when they've had some space to think and to dig a little bit deeper, as opposed to somebody jumping in and filling that space. So we've talked a lot about these ideas and these concepts from the perspective of the front line. So people delivering care at the front line, 
I'm curious to hear your thoughts as to if these concepts and these ideas, these takeaways, if they change at all when you shift them into a place of formal leadership. So someone who's maybe leading a team of individuals. That's a great question. And I would say that they don't change. Uh, inherently, they don't change. Perhaps the amount that you use them may change in different situations. Um, I think I, I think one of the challenges that we often have with leaders is leaders have this notion that they're supposed to have all of the answers and they're scared to death because they know they don't have all of the answers, but yet they don't want to ask other people for answers because they don't want to be perceived as not being the leader. Um, so I think uh, I think a lot of education needs to occur to let leaders know that they're not supposed to have all of the answers. And as research supports time and time again, two heads are better than one. Three heads are better than one. Um, the more perspectives that we get on a problem or a challenge, the better able we are going to be to solve that challenge. Um, which I think is why um, hospitals, you know, and, and medical facilities have care teams that come from different perspectives. Um, unfortunately, sometimes what those team meetings turn out to be, though, is just reporting on what one individual did instead of talking as a team as what should or could be done. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but going back to your, going back to leadership. So a lot about leadership is really asking questions to get information from people and to get feelings from people. Because one of the things that we're learning is people are resigning from their jobs because they don't feel valued. They don't feel heard and understood. And so we really need to be able to take people's opinions, take people's interests, take people's information. And I'm not saying that we always have to use it because the leader ultimately then will make the best decision, but you can only make the best decision when you have as much information as possible. And then the part that I think some leaders forget to do is to go back to the people who gave them the information and explain what the decision was and why that decision was made that way. So I feel more valuable if you're going to take my ideas into account, even if you don't end up choosing my idea. Um, but perhaps hearing my idea was something that helped you then open up to somebody else's idea, which ended up being better than mine or including part of mine. Uh, and then, so I know that I contributed to this solution as well. Uh, so I think that, I think that for leaders, definitely asking questions and listening, um, listening to understand, not to respond, I think is really a critical skill. So perhaps you just go out and you ask questions and, and I actually, I did this, um, at an election that we had in the United States, uh, and I went to people who were from the opposite political party that I am. And I just said, I really want to understand. So I am just going to ask you questions and ask you questions, but I, I am not going to respond back. 
and it was hard to do, but it was also really valuable for me to do. Um, So I think asking questions and not responding is, is that's a huge challenge. I think paraphrasing and confirming goes a long way with people because that's how we know that our personal meetings, meanings that we have in our brains are more aligned. And then uh, reflecting feelings, because I think that we are becoming much more authentic in the workplace. And we're recognizing that uh, humans are human beings are the ones doing the work and human beings have emotions. And so being able to reflect feelings and to be more, uh, more open to what people need in certain moments is really important. And then that great power of the pause can go a long way with a leader, Mm -hmm. Um, a leader that doesn't think that they have to jump in right away, but can just be with silence. That's huge. Mm -hmm. That's very huge. I think as you said, there is such power in the the silence and being with someone in the silence. And I think the other thing that really struck me as you were sharing those, those thoughts was the idea about really hearing people's feelings. And we all know like the great resignation is alive and well right now. And we're seeing that in healthcare as well. And part of it is due to the after effects and current effects of COVID and the stress and burnout that has been seen with that level of intensity that healthcare professionals and leaders have gone through day after day after day. And what strikes me about that is the opportunity to really value how people are feeling. Doesn't necessarily mean that, um, it can be fixed or changed, or or maybe it can. Um, hopefully, it can. But just the valuing of how people are feeling and and recognizing that they are in this place. It's hard. Healthcare is hard now. Yeah. So I'm curious then, as we consider the idea of listening and consider the idea of, you know, pulling in some of these practices about asking questions and paraphrasing and reflecting feelings and the power of the pause, where would you say people go off the rails a little bit with that? Where's the most likely place that it's it's going to go wrong? Fundamentally, I think it's because people listen to respond as opposed to listen to understand. And it really is a mindset shift to look inside and and be able to say, I don't have all of the answers and other people in the room can be smarter than I am um, and can see things differently than I can see. And so I need to be open to different perspectives and not resist them and not react to them right away, but Mm -hmm. really be with them until I understand them. It's interesting what you say about that open mind and um, resisting perhaps our old behaviors um, and our old patterns of behavior. And what I hear in that a little bit too is holding back from our assumptions as well. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I think often when we're we're listening to respond, it comes from often a place of making assumptions about the person and what is being said. Absolutely. Absolutely. So as we near the end of our time together, I'm curious if you were uh, to offer one final piece of wisdom or encouragement, what would that sound like? Yeah. And I really think that that goes back to the idea that once you really truly get that the quality of a relationship is dependent upon the quality of listening, one recognizes that there are many improvements that could be made in that listening. Mm -hmm. And we all are responsible for any relationship that we're in, whether it be professional or personal. And we can do that by becoming better listeners. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Laura, for everything today. I always find conversations about listening to be fascinating because I know there are so many layers to it. And I've definitely learned of a couple of new layers from you today. And I appreciate that you brought some tangible takeaways that people can apply wherever they practice, whatever their work looks like, they can work to start to apply today. And so I appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Leah. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us today at Central Line Leadership and Healthcare. Also, if you liked what you heard, please head on over to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review. Be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Also, if you'd like to learn more about our host, Leah Woodchick, check out talltreesleadership.com.